Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partner in radio, Barnabas Piper, and joined once a year in studio by my good friends and my partners in radio from Camp Barakal, uh, a bunch of campers and another Camp Barakal staff member. So let's clap it up for the camp, you guys. Clap it up for the Happy Ramp. Uh, we got a lot of energy in the room today, Pipe. Um, it's just been magical up here and like all earnestness for a minute. I do love this place so much. I love Camp Barakal. Uh, it's way up here in the north woods of Fairview, Michigan. And uh, we do high school camp for a week. I get to speak twice a day. Um, this is just the greatest for me. It's good for my soul, good for my person, good for my family. And uh, just fun to be with these people. So. Who- who comes to this camp? Is it like a bunch of different churches? Is it a church? Like, how does this, what kind of camp are we, were we discussing here? Yeah, dude, it's a bunch of different churches and they're all kind of scattered about Michigan, but we get people really from all over. Like we have a camper from Florida. We have some from, you know, other States in the South. There's a little bit of a Tennessee connection. And the other fun part is we get college students kind of from all over to work at the camp and council and just incredible high quality people. Shout out Paul Gardner, who's the camp director uh, at Barakal, kind of my hero. He's on my Mount Rushmore of cool people that uh, if I could choose to spend time with anybody, PG would be, he would be on there. Just a great guy. Walks close to the Lord. Very humble. I feel like that's, camp directors only go one of two ways. Mm -hmm. They're either like Nurse Ratchet or (laughs) they're the coolest person ever. There's not, there's no in between with camp directors. Well, dude, and the funny thing about coolest person ever is that PG is exceedingly cool and kind and timeless with like 0% effort. You know what I mean? Like he's not trying to be cool. He's not trying to be like the guy that relates to you about music or movies or whatever. Um, But he has this way of like just naturally relating to everybody, which is incredible. And um, there's another thing related to PG that I want to talk about. This was a this is actually going to be a segment, but because we're, we're in it now, I wanted to bring this up. Um, we were at breakfast this morning and um, somebody had one of those like coffee contraptions that looks like a chemistry set. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like the, the little beakers and vials. And I mean, there's, there's literally a, a version of those. It's called Chemex. And so it's, I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, they've just, they've just given in. They're, this is just they've a chemistry given set. In. Yeah, they've totally given in. And I asked whose that was. And somebody indicated that it belonged to the camp director's wife. And I was blown away because because they're probably they're they're older than us and I'm pretty old. And, you know, this woman like she she makes her own yarn like on a loom, like she makes her own fabric. She wears these like really elegant pieces of clothing that she's made. And it occurred to me she might be the original hipster. You know what I mean? Hipsters spend like tens of thousands of dollars trying to emulate what this woman does like naturally, she just rolls out of bed and is like this, but like, it's a, it's a whole persona. Like it's a whole thing for hipsters. Do you guys agree? Sure. Yeah. She's incredible. Incredible. So I don't well, know that that's... weren't like, aren't hipsters just sort of a, like an airbrushed version of hippies. Well, kind of that's the thing though. I feel like there's a, there's a kind of, oh, and the lemon bar has entered the podcast. I hear yeah, well, the, shout out the lemon bar. Yeah. Shout out my guy, Dave, from the kitchen. Dave has he's learned something very important about me and that it's my love language is special treatment. So (laughs) 
Dave just like goes in back and like produces food for me on occasion and brings it out on like a a special plate. And I just feel like a million bucks because of him. Do you want me to ruin it for you? Yeah. Okay. These were made for the counselors and that's a leftover. <laughs> oh, son of a gun, dude. <laughs> I just found out that these were made for the counselors and this is a leftover. But you know what? It's still special to me because Dave brought it and it was full of love because I could you know, see the look. There's at a it. fine line between leftover and saved one for you. So exactly. we'll go with we'll go with that. I'm going with saved one for me, like in the way that you would you would save some something nice for a child, like for a toddler. You know, that's that's basically the. I saved you the refrigerator box, like that kind of thing. Exactly. It's like you get they're happy with the the rubbish. Yeah, exactly. That's me. I'm happy with the rubbish. I'm like uh, I'm like Ruth in the in the third chapter of the book of Ruth, tying it into my my uh, my lessons this week. But pipe, I want to talk about speaking of the Bible and speaking of theology. I want to talk about a little company that has lavished some special treatment on us in the past few weeks, and that's a company called Visual Theology. Um, they make amazing products. They make amazing, ironic Wheaties boxes with our images on them that they <laughs> but send. I was going to say, but not for everybody, only for certain people. Exactly. But their T-shirts have been a big hit up at camp. I've been wearing them around, and uh, and they're great. Tell us about Visual Theology, Pod. Yeah, you did. Thanks for setting that up. Um, so visual theology started with they just did a book a few years ago, and it was just it's really cool visual representations of different parts of scripture. So you hear, uh, you know, I mentioned in last week's promo, the story of Gideon, where there's 300 people versus what is it, 120,000 people or um you know, you hear about 10 plagues and all these different things, and they put all of these into visual representations to make these what what can be pretty easy to gloss over in scripture kind of come alive. I was I was scrolling through their website this morning actually looking at some of the posters they do and there was one that I was kicking myself that I didn't have about 3 weeks ago um because I was reading Exodus with my kids and there's just this real detailed explanation of what the priests wear mm-hmm. and it's boring frankly. Yeah. Uh but they do this amazing poster where they like you know, they, they lay it all out. They kind of cross-section it so you can see all the different elements. They're like, this is this, this is this, this is what this looks like. And mm-hmm. I was like, if I could have showed my kids that, they would have been like, oh, that's really cool. But, you know, I didn't have it at the time. So that's just an example of the kind of things they do. They have dozens of posters. They have books. They have curriculum. So stuff that can be used for um, like a discipleship or a new believers class. Great for student ministry or college ministry as well. So, uh, listeners, if you go to visualtheology.church slash happy, that's the link that where you can get our discount code. So visualtheology.church slash happy. You can check out all their products and then just use the code HAPPYRENT in checkout and you'll get a 20% discount off of everything. Um, be sure to explore their memberships as well. They're inexpensive. So if you work at a church or if you're a teacher especially, these would be great options. You get access to all the posters. You get discounts on the books. They have you know discounts on any new products they come out with. That's all on the website as well. So again, visualtheology.church slash happy. Use the code HAPPYRANT and get that 20% discount. Incredible pipe. Great promo work as always. Uh, so Ron's not here this week. I didn't mention that at the top. Uh, where, where's Ronnie? Do you know? I think he just said he was traveling. Yeah, I think it's a his... fa- I think it's a family thing this time. Not okay. a uh, not a not a retreat or a sabbatical or a consortium or uh, what? I mean, what else does he do? Um, oh, who knows? Conference, America's, you know. America's favorite itinerant pastor, Ronnie Martin. Um, yeah, he's he's around once in a while. But Pipe, what did you guys talk about last week without me on the show? 
I feel like so, I missed very few apps. Well, we, we thought we would just go deep on critical race theory because we know that makes you uncomfortable. Uh, no, that's not, that's not true. We, we did a man of the cloth episode um, mm. and just talked about, you know, because I'm kind of new to pastoral ministry and Ronnie's mm-hmm. been in it a little longer and we come into it from kind of yep. unique backgrounds. And so just kind of talking about what have, what have we learned, what's been a surprise, what was a, a surprise for him, those kinds of things. So just pastoral ministry in, uh, in a happy rant way. Dude, I love it. I love it. Piper, I want to introduce something in somebody that we we never have guests on the program. But because I'm here at camp, um, we have a really special opportunity. I have Aaron Crandall with me. Uh, Aaron wears many hats here at camp, including literal hats. She wears what she calls her business bonnet. <laughs> and that's um, there's kind of an out west theme this week at camp. So I've seen Aaron... Uh, wearing like Amish dresses and bonnets, meaning that she looks like pioneer, pioneer women. Yeah. Pioneer women. She looks like two thirds of the women in our church. uh, She looks like the cover of all of Ronnie Martin's favorite books. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. She could be on the cover of one of Ron's favorite novels. But um, anyway, we were having breakfast with Erin this morning and she laid an unbelievable theory on us uh, related to coffee and kind of the culture of coffee and the culture of um, just some other things that we're dealing with in this context in 2021. So, uh, I'm going to introduce Aaron. She is from Muncie, Indiana, God's country. Shout out Muncie. <laughs> um, so we know that she is a great person. Uh, already. So Aaron, welcome to the program. And I'm going to ask you if you would to just kind of introduce the idea that you introduced to me this morning, and then I want to get pipes feedback on it. Okay. Yeah. So we were talking about, um, caffeine in general. And I mentioned that I don't actually drink any caffeine. I stopped drinking caffeine a couple years ago when I finally figured out why I was having anxiety issues. So I started having a lot of anxiety issues shortly after we got married. Mm-hmm. Um, and throughout our, throughout my 11 years of marriage and different pregnancies, I started like thinking through like, when was my anxiety the worst? When was it not the worst? I totally blamed like hormones and birth control. And then and it all came clear to me that I started drinking a lot of coffee when I was mar- when I got married and I stopped drinking it when I was pregnant and I would pick it back up again. And my anxiety is always so much worse and almost uncontrollable when I'm drinking a lot of caffeine. And so I looked into it and I stopped drinking caffeine altogether and almost immediately my anxiety got better. And so the more I read about caffeine and how it affects anxiety and the more I thought about the culture that our young people are living in right now that seems to be just so much more anxiety and depression issues than it used to be. Now, I don't think it's all caffeine. I'm also not a doctor or a scientist, but I've learned recently you don't have to be either of those things to have strong opinions. And, That's it. And We're neither it. of those things, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or to be a medical expert. You can be a yeah, medical no, expert with, with none can, of that. I can have some yeah. pretty strong theories and opinions and force it on to people So you easily. you tied it in, and this, so, this is what I thought was brilliant yeah. about this morning. Oh, the friends thing. Yeah, you tied right? it into the show Friends, yeah, which introduced so, coffee and narcissism. Yeah. So like in the 90s, he, you know, I'm in high school that time and the Friends show is on. And prior to that, no one is going to coffee shops and like hanging out all day drinking coffee. And there's not coffee shops on college campuses and like coffee shops like aren't really a thing until Friends comes along and makes it this like super cultural thing. And then Wi-Fi too, allowing people to work at coffee shops and like study at coffee shops and spend their whole day just drinking coffee after coffee. 
and kids drinking coffee at a young age. I didn't drink coffee until I was an adult. Yeah. And it was because I decided as a grown up, I should either learn to drink coffee or learn to drink beer. And I decided mm. coffee was the better option. And well, I think it's debatable. I was <laughs> going to say, there's, there's some question. Also, it's not an either or for me. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, the well, and we, so we started talking about like, what if we had our high schoolers hanging out at pop shops all day? Yeah, just drinking caffeinated pop. What if the arbitrary thing was yeah. pop or soda? For, for our southern pop. listeners, pop is what you call Coke. Oh. For our eastern listeners, that's what you call soda. Just oh, to, sure, to sure. step yeah, but outside the shop. region. So if you're going to make a store out of it, it has to be called a pop shop. So you'd have some right. little hipster barista, but instead of pulling like a latte, she would be like pulling a diet Pepsi and writing your name on the can. Right. And, and, uh, and I can't so- imagine. Sounds like a soda fountain to me. Oh. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I guess that was a thing that oh, existed. Yeah. <laughs> it's already, it's already we thought happened. we were so clever this morning. <laughs> but I'm thinking like, I can't imagine sending like a young person to a, a pop shop to yeah. like just drink sugary caffeinated beverages all day. But yet, that's what we do as a culture. We sit and drink sugary, caffeinated coffee all day. And then we and, wonder why we're jittery and on edge all the yeah, time. Yeah, and is it coincidental that anxiety and depression have increased so dramatically in the last two de- two centuries? No, what is it? A decade. <laughs> two, yeah, two centuries, 200 years <laughs> of hipster coffee shops. It's been a long I, week. Feel, it feels like it. Yeah, we're we're still like kind of kicking the tires on this theory. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Do you think it has legs? Yes or no? Well, I, I'm of I'm a very mixed feelings right now. So we're going to start with the feelings and then we'll get into the facts because reactions are more fun. Um, yeah. I'm here for anything that blames friends for bad stuff. So yes, dude. I'm Let's down go. with all of that. Let's um, go. I am strongly in defense of drinking coffee, though. Um, okay. Now, I. I only because it doesn't affect me that way. So clearly, sure. if it has no negative effects on me, it should be fine for everybody, right? Like, it doesn't make me anxious. Everybody should it should be fine. Just legalize yeah, no, what's good I, for me. When I read about caffeine, it did clearly say if you're prone to anxiety, it will mm. amp it up. Yeah. So being prone to it, it does not cure my anxiety. In fact, COVID made, COVID made me go on anxiety meds, mm. even with not drinking caffeine. So I'm definitely prone to it. But the caffeine really amped it up. Interesting. So Piper, I have, I have a kind of a like ancillary theory to this and uh, I want to hear both of you on it since you're both not doctors and (laughs) not even close in any way. Um, my theory about hipsters has long been these people get up in the morning, they immediately start pounding like rich, dark coffees at 501 PM. They switch to like hoppy IPAs. I think they're just massively dehydrated and that their, their organs are going to crumble like an old scone. And, um, I wonder if that has something to do with the anxiety as well. Your thoughts? Well, th- there's become there's become a culture of like the sustainable water drinking. So like every every hipster has like a Camelback or a Nalgene or a clean canteen or a, a hydro flask. Like there's a billion high end water bottle companies yeah. now. So I feel like they, they might be counteracting it well. Uh, you know, what I want to know is how they get any work done because if I drink as much as they do of either coffee or hoppy beer while consuming all that water, I would be peeing every 45 minutes. And so that seems like a a very disrupted workflow. Yeah. 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 Maybe what hipsters really love is peeing. I don't know. (laughs) And being self-employed. That's true. Quote unquote. You can work from anywhere. Why not the bathroom? (laughs) Absolutely, dude. I, I do think that there's a lot of merit in that theory because, you know, 
it's funny because we people will pay so much attention to what they put in their body. You know, there's keto diet and whole third. I mean, there's just all these these diets where people are like treating their bodies as if it's, you know, it's it's a whole chemistry um, yeah. kind of experiment. But what they always say is, but you can drink black coffee with it. Like there's just this this acceptable yeah. drug that we pay no attention to, and. Yeah. I'm Nobody's not. There, but I, hey, you can you can do all the cocaine you want. That's you right. Know? Yeah, <laughs> all the uppers you want. Just just snort them, smoke them, shoot them, whatever. Exactly. I uh, but and and I don't think anything of it because I drink about somewhere between half a pot to two thirds of a pot of coffee a day, and it's just my norm. And I'm kind of terrified what would happen if I stopped. Like I don't know if I would either get superpowers or I would become like the Hulk. I don't know. I'd start killing people, um, yeah. or I would just have a headache. I'm not sure. So yeah. it is odd that coffee does not fall into the like your body is a temple thing for most people, even though they're religious about like how much, you know, lean protein they eat and whatever else. Dude, that's so true. That's so true and so funny. Uh, Aaron, I want to thank you for coming on the program. Yeah, no problem. You certainly don't have to leave the studio now, but if okay. you have work you have to do, you but can I have to be go. Quiet. But well, you don't have to be quiet either. <laughs> I mean, you're a guest. You're like once a guest, always a guest in terms yeah, if of you've, if you've got insights or funny comments, please throw them, throw them in the podcast. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll ask both of you this question then. Um, and this harkens back to something we talked about, like a couple of episodes in the in, in a row. Um, I listened to 10 minutes of the Drisky doc on the way up. Um, my question to you is twofold. Like how many episodes are there now? And are you guys still like listening to it? Um, I think there are, there's four out now and okay. they come out once a week. So it's not, you know, it's not like a scramble to keep up with it. If you, yeah. you know, if you're a regular podcast listener, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping up with it because I, uh, I've really, I've really liked how they have, they've kind of examined it from a bunch of different directions. They're interviewing yeah. people who were there and it's absolutely not a, um, like just a hit piece. If it was a hit piece, I would have mm. given it like eight minutes max and been like, Oh, these people just hate Mark Driscoll. This Dude, is more of a like minutes and it felt like a hit piece to me. Does it get, th- it gets less hit piecey. I think if you, so, so the, the last episode I listened to at the time of our recording mm-hmm. was, was talking about like the moving of the spirit to spontaneous baptisms. And they have one of their former worship leaders and, and how his, like his daughter came up. So he steps away from the microphone to baptize her and just the most like normal sounding guy. Like the, none of this is, is over kind of over dramatized as much as just saying like amazing things were happening. And, you know, and then another guy who was talking about how like Mark pulled him out of kind of an aimless life of, never going to make it as a musician to, to do yeah. meaningful ministry and convinced him to get married to the woman who's now has, you know, he's married to and has kids. And, and so the, these like, they, they shine the light on a lot of good stuff that happened. Yeah. And even as there's all this kind of ugliness too. And so, yeah, it really is. I I've appreciated the kind of yeah two, two sides of the coin aspect of the storytelling, because that's, I mean, that's how I feel about Mark very sure. distinctly is like, I wouldn't recommend him to anybody. Uh-huh. But I can't help but acknowledge a significant amount of good that happened in my life because of things that he wrote and said. Yeah. You know? And it's a both and. Yeah, that's good, man. And that's true. And I, I think, um, yeah, listening to that first 10 minutes, they played a few clips of like early Drisky preaching. And I was like, oh, I'd forgotten how awesome this guy was, actually. Like I'd, I'd forgotten how 
yeah, how insightful and funny and interesting and challenging and all those things that he could be. And um, one of a kind. Nobody yeah. preached like that. Yeah, one of a kind, exactly. And I think for me, and this isn't some like good person flex at all, but I, I think it just made me like I didn't want to think about his unraveling. You know what I mean? And there, there are all these external factors for it. Like you shouldn't put somebody in charge of a church who's never been a member of a church and you shouldn't put somebody in charge of all this stuff at age 26 when they're not ready for it. And like, I get all that. And I guess I don't have to be convinced of all of it. Um, but it, it made me feel, I just felt sad, I guess, you know, to, to know like the trajectory of it. And, um, you know, I didn't want to keep listening, but the thing is a phenomenon, man. Like you literally can't go anywhere in like Christendom without people talking about the Drisky doc. So it's done really well. Um, when it's, and I think the listeners are much more polarized than the podcast itself because you have people who come at it who were like they got saved because yeah. of Mark Driscoll's ministry. And then there's other people who just they hate him. They yeah. just hate him with all their hearts because of his general jackassery and, uh, you know, and all of the, the cost of that. And then there's so many people in the middle who are like, I don't know how to feel about this guy because. He, yeah. He did a ton of good and he did a ton of bad. And what do you do with that kind of person? And it's not like he, you know, he didn't do anything criminal. And, you know, and right. that's, it's, it's one thing if somebody's like, oh, he embezzled $17 million. You're like, well, he's, he's in jail, you know, yeah. or if somebody's a sexual deviant or whatever, he right. was just a jerk, like the, the yeah. biggest kind of jerk. Well, and, and that, that, it's so interesting that you say that because that's like a different category, even than like heretic, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's one thing if somebody's spreading false teaching and, you know, you push back or you draw lines or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's basically like this is a guy that a whole bunch of people liked and this is a guy that a whole bunch of other people really didn't like. And I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. Maybe my my struggle with it is that, like, it's just a new category. You know what I mean? Well, and yeah, and I think we're if America has proven anything, it's that we don't hold competing thoughts in our mind very well. Like we don't sort things. We just yeah. want to be able to throw like everything into one basket or another. It's good or it's bad. It's in or it's out. It's true or it's false. Yeah. And almost nothing is that neat and tidy. And so huh. like, and, and especially not people, you know, almost no yeah. person is a hundred percent, uh, you know, worthy of our respect. They're like mostly worthy of our respect and we generally respect them, but we also know they're quite capable of, being a failure. And then yeah. there's people who are, you know, it's pretty rare for somebody to be so colossally successful and, and, yeah. um, uh, kind of significant mm -hmm. and then so colossally terrible. Yeah. And, you know, and, and they almost overlapped. Yeah. Do you think anybody, if given what he was given at such a young age, and I, th I think about people like your dad and like Tim Keller who really, they came into their quote unquote success later in life. They really did. I mean, your dad at 26 wasn't like a worldwide phenomenon and a conference speaker and published and, and all this stuff. Um, I wonder if you gave anybody what Trisky got at 26, if it would wreck them. Yeah. I, I especially in ministry where it's yeah. a, you know, like if, if you give somebody massive business success at 26, they, they might be all right. You know, it's, that's a question of money or fame. Like there's, there's 26 year old athletes who manage sure. it well. Um, but, but ministry is a different thing because when you start mixing 
fame and fortune with an occupation that should be defined by not like by humility. Yeah. What do you do? With, like it, it has to be a daily waking up and going any fame and fortune that I have don't mm-hmm. matter. Yeah. You know, they don't matter. And so, yeah, somebody like Tim Keller and my dad, like they didn't get, my dad was probably, what would he have been? Probably close to 50 when he kind of became colossally well-known in the evangelical world. He was in his forties when he like, when his star was on the rise and yeah, I mean, I think about my, you know, I'm, I'm pushing 40 and I think about that and I go, yeah, 10, 12 years ago, I would have been an absolute disaster. Yeah, for sure. And at this point, it would make me very nervous if I, you know, if my name became anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Aaron has a comment. I raised my hand. Yeah. Like any good student. Absolutely. Um, I think like seeing someone in a Christian leadership position um, with fame and money aside, but fame, uh, any Christian is going to be attacked by uh, Satan and and be tempted to fall. But I think he's going to go hard after those because what better person to attack and watch crumble than someone that everyone who's a non-believer sees it too. The believers start to question the non-believers point and laugh. I mean, that's like the perfect person. Mm-hmm. So I think any, any believer going into ministry, going into leadership, going into some sort of power has to be so on guard for what attacks he or she is going to receive because yeah. if I was the enemy, that's who I'm going after. It's such a great point. And I think to that, you know, just the way our culture is now and the way we live our lives and how, how plugged in we are electronically. I mean, I think we roll out of bed promoting, uh, promoting is the last thing we do before our heads hit the pillow at night. And we do a lot of promoting in between. So I think just the way we live our lives is pretty fundamentally at odds with humility And so sometimes the humility comes at a steeper, harsher, um, kind of more jagged cost than it used to. Um, I don't know. I don't know, Pipe, if you think, especially in the realm of pastoral ministry, like how do we reclaim humility and what kind of changes do we need to make to our lifestyles to make that a thing that's like tenable? Well, a couple, couple thoughts. I'll answer that question one second. I I thought Aaron's comment was so so spot on in terms of the way that the the devil wants nothing more than to fracture the church just anything he can do to discredit what christ is doing and if he can do it through a a like an you know uh, a nuclear explosion like a Mm -hmm. leader blowing up that's great because the fallout is enormous Mm -hmm. but if he can't do it that way so like I don't know if you guys are aware because you've been enjoying your time at camp. There's a there's a whole thing that kind of came up this week with David Platt, where oh. no Platt hasn't done anything wrong that I'm aware of, but a small group of members in his church mm-hmm. spread basically a campaign of lies to vote down some elders that were proposed and essentially trying to split the church. That's the, oh. that's the long and the short of it. And like and so they, there's a you can find it on YouTube. There's a like a, a business meeting that they had and he addresses it. And and uh, so Satan couldn't get at him for ego or for sexual sin or for whatever. And thank God for that. And mm-hmm. instead, he uses, you know, malicious, slanderous behavior. He just doesn't quit. He's always yeah. gunning for it. And so, yeah, like if you can get Driscoll, if you can get James McDonald, mm. 
you know, he Not does that. And yeah. 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 And, and if yeah. not, he's going to, he's going to use this. Yeah. What, what did, what did Aaron say? Robbie, uh, Robbie, Robbie Zacharias. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, we, sadly we could probably just play ping pong with names for the next 10 yeah. minutes, but, yeah. um, yeah. And if not, it's the snake in the grass, you know, just right. for, for the, for the innocent guy. Um, <clears throat> your question was, what do we need to change? Yeah. I and, think, and I think I'll add to that, like just something as you were speaking that came to mind just from a, from the perspective of a parishioner, just a guy in the pew, like pray for your pastors, yes. you know, like diligent daily prayer for the people who are leading our churches. I mean, I think that's, that's something we've been convicted to do over the last couple of years. And, um, yeah, it's scary out there for them. You know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people roaming about seeking to devour, but yeah, uh, on the humility part pipe, what are your thoughts? We were just talking about this at a meeting, uh, an elders meeting earlier this week at church, and the the pastor who was leading it um, brought up the text that says, shepherd the flock of God who is among you. Mm. Um, and I, it, that, that phrase, among you, is so significant because I think a huge part of where we go wrong in ministry, I include myself in this number as a, you know, it's a temptation, is to pour our energies into anywhere beyond the scope of ministry that God has handed us. The internet has completely broken our ability to see our limitations. Wow. Um, what a great you know, point. I saw, I saw, I think it was Michael Ware tweeted the other day. He said, we're not designed to be aware of this much information and anxiety in the world. Like our brains are not designed to handle this. And so, you know, on the one hand, we're intaking so much info. And on the other hand, we have reached to people we have no business having reached to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, and then there's a, there's a, such a like, uh, titillating, uh, aspect of like people reaching out and saying, you know, you know, I get, I get hit up on social media where people ask me questions. They ought to be asking their pastor. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I just, I'm, that's generally my response is like, do you have a church? You should talk to your pastor about this. And they're kind of like, well, he's not any good. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. it's, I'm sorry, but you know, it's still, I'm not the pastor of the internet and neither is, you know, David Platt or whoever. And, uh, and so I think that, that among you aspect, Mm. you know, if you're at a church of 300 people, you got 300 people to shepherd. If you're at a church of a thousand people, you got a thousand people and you probably need a lot of help because that's too many people for a pastor. And, uh, and I think, so I think that's an aspect I mean, but real frankly, I think there's just the thing that I see in guys like my dad and, you know, my dad and I have plenty of differences, but there are so many aspects of his life that I look at and I go, well, I would like to emulate that. And one of them is he just has never thought more highly of himself than he ought, period. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm sure he has in moments, but Mm -hmm. he just wakes up in the morning and through spiritual growth, maturity, discipline over time, has a recognition of, I'm nothing without the grace of God. Mm. When if you start there, and, and he, you know, there's, there, it, it just flies in the face of ego. It flies in the face of self-promotion. It flies in the face of, of kind of the, the self-helpy mindset of like, I am enough for me kind of thing. Like, it just turns the eyes to Christ and you're like, well, I'm, I'm not anything. I can't accomplish anything. I can't save anyone. I can't write a word that helps anybody. No mm. good comes from me aside from the grace of God. So yeah. that's, and I think a lot of pastors just fall into the trap of thinking they can do anything. Mm. And the moment they do, they're, they're, they're kind of, they've just sort of punted effectiveness. 
Yeah, man, that's so good. And there's so much good in that. And it's sort of, it flies in the face of what our culture tells us, which is you can do anything. You should be doing everything. Um, it, there's this really great tension, I think, in the life of the believer between we really need to be diligent and active in the stuff that God's called us to do, while at the same time, daily, hourly, minutely, like realizing how dependent we are on him. And I think the people that do that well are the people that I want to learn from. Um, but they're few and far between, you know, they're not, they're not a lot of them. And I think our, the culture that we're in now and the resources that we have now, they don't, they don't do those people any favors. So, yeah. um, it's I mean, easier was, said than done. I was just thinking about, you know, it, when we were just reviewing the manuscript for our book, uh, teaser listeners, we submitted our manuscript. It's with the publisher now. So mm. that's exciting. But soon you to be changed drastically. Yes, soon to be sent back with all sorts of red ink on it, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. in there, one of the portions I'm certain they won't change is when you wrote you wrote about Ephesians two in one of the chapters. I think it was the chapter on uh, deconstructing faith. Yeah. But um, you know, Ephesians two is a great example of this, where it says, you know, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves; it's a gift mm-hmm. of God. So I mean, it just it just lays it out like. You didn't do this. God did this. It's a gift. But then verse 10 in Ephesians 2 said that we have been, um, what is it? Uh, Prepared for the good works that God has set out before us. Basically, he's prepared good works for us to walk in. And so it's a, it's a, we don't save ourselves, but there are absolutely things that we put our hand to and do them with all of our might, you know, because I think it's also a temptation of pastors to be lazy, you know, to, to basically be like, I'm just on call. God's doing the work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, so there's workaholic pastors who are doing too much on their own strength. There's lazy pastors who are not doing enough. And then most of us fall somewhere in the middle and probably pendulum swing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good word, man. So true. Pipe, we've got just a couple of minutes left before I have to run to my next camp thing. Um, let's talk about another cultural phenomenon. All right. Uh, that, that is that is just great without qualification. Uh, <laughs> and it's the show Cheers, which you're oh, now watching yes. with your lady. And nothing has made me happier via text lately than uh, than learning this from I you. I thought you were going to say mullets. Well, no, we've got, although we have some <laughs> pipe. One minute, let's do 30 seconds on this. We okay. have dudes at our camp, like high school dudes, who are like unironically wearing mullets. And they look like 1980s dirtbags. No, no, they look glorious. <laughs> they they look kind of glorious. Kinda, well, kinda you got to understand that 1980s dirtbag is a term of honor and affection it's coming from Ted. Like, my economy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. That's a good love thing. It. I love it so much. And I grew up yeah. in the 80s and 90s and I feel like I should hate it, but I love it. Yeah. And one of them even pairs it with like a really uh, scummy mustache and uh, they're, they're pulling it off. It works really when well. When they graduate. Shout out they, those guys. When they graduate, they have to stop. That's true. Yeah. I mean, there's a time and a place. Right but, now, man. You know. I have up. mixed feelings about the matching mustache. Mustaches in general, I, I'm very uncomfortable with. It's um, tough. That, and that it's, is fair. Mustaches are disgusting. Yeah. But a mustache <laughs> with a mullet on a high schooler, I say go for it. There's a lot of confidence there that I like. And yeah. uh, I even wonder, and I want to hear you speak to this as a former Wheaton College student, Aaron and I were Taylor University students. Woo-hoo. How would how would the mullet and mustache play at Wheaton? Because I'm I'm thinking this through, going, what if it these would, guys took that to Taylor? It would play at Taylor. You think it would play? Oh, it, for sure. Oh, it would, abso- it would absolutely work at Wheaton these days. Like Wheaton has all you know, there's plenty of like 
you know, your J crew kids or whatever there, but there's a, there's always a, a strong cohort of kind of the, the counterculture, if you will. So like some gothy looking kids or some, which is like my freshman year, um, the guy who was in the dorm room next to me was a philosophy major who had like strong goth skater oh, vibe nice. about him. So like Super dark hair. Did yeah. it work for him? Was he able to pull girls with that persona? Yes. Uh, okay. Nobody else liked him, however. And I don't know how, yeah. like, and I don't know how long they could tolerate him either. He was a That's difficult person. That that like dudes hate it, but a certain kind of girl is drawn to it. Yeah. I can, so, I can and, see you know, and then there was, there was the, the crowd who skated on long boards. There's, uh-huh. you know, there's like this kind of the hippie granola, crunchy, gr- you know, that, that crowd. So yeah, yeah the, the mullet mustache thing. And it's, it's always going to be by the guys who are kind of, they have an outsized charming personality anyway. Yeah. And so like, if they were also good looking, you would want to fight them. But yeah. because they're doing this sort of self-sabotage in a humorous way, it makes you like them more. It's uh, yeah. I think it'd be, I think it'd be, it would work really well. Dude. And it does work really well. That's so true. Yeah. That's the psychology behind it. Uh, we have a comment from a camper. Yeah, go. Um, something else I've noticed is really odd to see on people. I got a friend who's 14 and he's already growing this little beard. Yeah. You know, those little, those high school yeah. freshman beards that just yeah. look like a caterpillar exploded on their face. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah well, it's like mold growing on his face. Exactly. That's not new. I mean, that, that's been around since the beginning of time, he, that phenomenon. He needs to get a mullet. He needs to get a mullet to go with it. Oh, I think no. that's the, yes. that's the you know, No, I think he needs a grown up to sit down and go, has anyone taught you how to shave yet? Like, do you, do you, do you yeah, need me to dads, get you a razor? So often we go back to where the dads, but, uh, yeah. Maddie, what's up, baby? Welcome to the program. Dude, there was a camper last week, an <laughs> East side camper okay. who looks older than all of these high school kids. Okay. Looks older than all of so the middle staff. school kid. Middle school yeah. Kid looked older than all the staff. Yeah. Looked, looked older than like, like that's incredible. Yeah. Like he looked like he was 35. My question to you, Maddie, as a counselor is life easier or harder for that kid? Because when I was when I was like a middle schooler and I was tiny and weaselly and nervous, like I looked at the early maturing guy and I was just like, oh, my gosh, the world is his oyster. You know, I was scared of him. Yeah, That's sure. As a counselor. I get it, man. I totally yeah. get it. Dude, this is uh, this is my friend, Matt. He's a counselor here. Maddie and I did like a magical five minutes this morning on what it's like to go to basketball camp in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is an <laughs> exercise in being like having the mid-range jumper like still shoved down your throat by some like Tyler Van Vandersman type guy. With yeah, ankles. by some seven foot four Dutch guy. I'm right. glad you started his last name with Vander. <laughs> yeah, Vander Vandersma. Yeah. Like, we're going to shoot 15-footers, you guys. I don't care yeah, if the whole basketball world is against it. He's, he's being recruited by Hope College at, in, like, seventh grade. Yeah. Exactly, man. Exactly. Dude, I, I played college basketball at a small school in Grand Rapids, but I went to basketball camps for Hope and Calvin, both of them. You just go there, and it's just like – It's middies. Middies all day long. Dude, middies. Yeah. Big, big six-foot-six Dutch dudes just yeah, shooting la- middies. launching high post work. I love it, man. I, love, I would fit in at that camp. I might – I might be too old to go to the camp, but I bet I could go there. I bet I could get 12, 12 points a night just on my mid-range, my, my little baby hook, you know. Uh, you I could be the speaker at the camp. I could be the speaker. <laughs> That's right. That would be amazing. But don't basketball camps require that you do some sort of magic or like – Dribbling uh, tricks yeah, or whatever. Like spin like 10 balls at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, or like I, beat, you have to beat one of the camp. Like you challenge a camper to horse or something like that. 
Yeah. Also, they would require that you be any good at basketball. And yeah. I think that might be the You'd deal be breaker for me. Yeah, I'd be kicked out immediately for sure. Pipe, we got to go, but uh, give me like one minute on Cheers. Uh, is your lady still liking it? And like, where are you guys at? Like what episode, what season? Oh, yeah. She's, she, I don't know if she's watched all the seasons before, but she's seen more of it than I have. Um, oh, nice. I, I just have never watched it ever. Like, is it, it was yeah. on TV when I was, you know, like six. So yeah. uh, a little young. And so just came around to it. And I just kind of assumed it would be really hokey. Yeah. And uh, it, it absolutely just stomps on any sitcom that has come out in the last, you know, 10 years. Amen, it's it's so funny. And I'm every, every character works. And we're only, I think we're two seasons in. So we haven't even been introduced to all the characters. Like Fraser's not there yet, anything like that. Yep. But yep. Uh, they all, all work. And uh, Norm and Coach hold it down as my absolute Coach. favorites for now. Shout out Coach, Ernie Pantuso, yeah. legend. Yeah, it's so just, it's... Yeah, like even the stuff that's like inappropriate and I'm sure would have been very scandalous in 1984 uh-huh. um, is is kind of like tastefully scandalous now. Like there's nothing yeah. in there that's that's grotesque and it's it's just a brilliantly written show. It's kind of charming and quaint. Yeah. Um, well, it makes me really happy that uh, that you guys are watching and enjoying and we'll uh, we'll keep doing cheers check ins as you guys meander through. But um, speaking of media that the whole world needs to know about pipe. Talk about Dwell Bible, our other sponsor. Oh, I would love to talk about Dwell Bible, our other sponsor. Listeners, Dwell is an audio Bible app. If you go to dwellapp.io slash happy rant, dwellapp.io slash happy rant, you can check it out and see their discounts for our listeners. Uh, we've talked about them for a long time, um, but they have, uh, they're continually uh, evolving, adding new Bible versions, new narrators, new musical backgrounds, new listening plans, all sorts of new features. Two of the features that they've added in the last few months that are really cool, they have a sleep feature. So you can actually set a timer on it. You can fall asleep or put your kids to sleep listening to scripture. Um, and then they have a read-along feature. So in the app, if you're somebody who who really benefits from the reading and that helps it you know, stick in your mind better, you can do that as well. Um, just in general... An audio Bible is a great way to get scripture into the parts of your life where it, you know, it's tough if you if you're in the car a lot, if you have small children, um, when you're at the gym, those kinds of things where you can't really read easily. Um, so right now they're offering a 33% discount for our listeners off of their lifetime subscription. It's about a $50 savings or a 10% discount off the annual um, subscription. So again, it's dwellapp.io slash happy rant. Check them out today and be sure to subscribe. And I think you can actually buy it as a gift for other people. So if that's something that somebody else in your life would benefit from, you can do it that way as well. Incredible. Barakal campers, clap it up for pipe for that promo work. He's a pro. He's a pro's pro, doggone it. And I want to thank you guys for coming by, man, and for uh, just infusing new life into this program this week. Uh, Aaron Crandall, maybe the first guest we've ever had in the oh history of the program in seven or eight years, I know. Uh, kind of a huge deal for well, you to be here. We set the, the bar studio. very high. We have. I mean, we've set the bar really high. Really excellent work. Yeah, we need to wait another seven or eight years before we bring on it's another like guest. Like my dentist appointments. Um, yeah, that's it's exactly <laughs> seven or eight years, whether you need them or not. Yeah. you know that's our that's yeah. our approach to guests on the program. But Piper, we've done what we always do on the show, and that we've wandered to and fro uh, throughout a few topics: original hipsters, not original sin, original hipsters, mm-hmm. um, coffee and anxiety, coffee and your organs shriveling up and crumbling like an old scone. Yeah. 
And until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.